You're listening to the 90-10 rule. 90% business, 10% music. I think niggas just be forgetting to breathe sometimes. Just inhale, exhale, you know, focus on that first. Then my motherfucking business. I can't do nothing. Anything's better than that. Anything's better than going backwards. Real rap. Fucking right and rap for them wrecks. I'm still strapped. Anything goes always. The real gon' feel that. A lot of times in a trap, you can feel trapped. I was told if he won't hustle, he'll steal. That's still fat. Like when a nigga you thought was real, now you feel like he a red. It's killer, be killed while your feelings up in a bag. Dealing is in the past. Still a go get that set. Legitimate, but I ain't feeling the tech. Just hit me 50 bricks. Damn, flipping stack, flip, flipping stack. But once they get a little money, you know how niggas act. I ain't never had shit. Consider that. I probably lost like 20 different gigs. Through a few running from the law, some we ditched. I had the digits scratched. I vaguely remember that. Don't make me get into that. I signed a deal, I ain't wanting, I walked away with 290 36 months with no album, but fuck it I ain't complaining, sometimes I hate being famous Don't go nowhere with no banger That's why I really hate flying, cause I can't fly with the iron Ain't no permit, this shit I got shoot too many times With all the shit on my mind, still tell my bitch I'm just fine Who am I kidding, I'm lying, but I cannot take a bow Wear that pain on my face, I don't let my kids see me smile I went on tour with Wale Went on tour with the game, without a set to my name And that's when everything changed I said fuck it, I was better off hustling It was all or nothing, I did this all for nothing I'm ready for wall like custard on my last stand At the telly with that sack and the Mac 10 That in a 30 round Glock, you know how Max jam Or maybe you don't You know when I'm on, I was born in hell And I plan on taking it home Now who coming with me, Godspeed yeah. I like, I remember the first time I met Trip and I was like, I gotta introduce you to Star, like, you niggas sound good together, y'all go hard. So, when I see you niggas doing your thing, man, I'm just proud of you, you In 99, nigga had lines on the trap table. For real, real. In 2000, nigga started rapping, got my own label. Soul Birds got my own paper. True, true. Had my own guns, I'm my own shooter for my own haters. On my own acres. I can drug talk, I can real estate you. I can architect you a chrome tape. Yeah. Tryna build a team like I build a house. You know, slab bricks, then cash now. Nigga, tell these niggas where you know me from. Uh, True. Uh, tell these niggas how you met a nigga. First nigga put you on a tour bus, took you all around the world with a squad that a what a nigga. If it about getting money, I done it. I done it Cause I a nigga but fighting, you got five, but you don't bust, you run it. You a big pussy, you coming. Pick play, I can see the shit coming. Duck your head, nigga, out the car dumping. Empty clip to his heart, start pumping. Then the law start coming. Anyway, this just a life of day now that them neighbors were hard away. My sister get called, my bitch get bags and everyday holidays. My niggas get opportunities. I put them in position. I done made millions and I'm still grinding. That's hustle's ambition. For real. See, niggas get lazy once they get money, but see me, it's like, I never feel rich, I never will. I'm always hungry, like, nigga. Once I get one million, I want 10. Once I get 10, I want 20. Once I get a 20 piece, I want a 30 clip. It's what the game is, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that was No Rear View 2. 
By Starlito, Don Tripp, and Yo Got It, right here on the 9010 Rule. Artists, if you want your music featured on the 9010 Rule, email us your songs and notice of approval to play my shit at the 9010rule.com. All submissions without written consent will not be considered. Today on the 9010 Rule. That's what I was getting ready to say. Like, even when I was A&R, I liked, I, and I, you know, there's so many lessons that I've learned over these years in the game that I look back now and I'm like, man, now I see why it's so hard for a new A&R to bring a new producer in. Because A&Rs and these label execs, they'll kind of get a team of people who understand the play. You know what I mean? It's just like sports. It's the play. If you're going to go receive 10 yards, cut to the right. It's the play. Everybody know the play. But every time you start bringing somebody new in, they want to just kind of do something different. Instead of running his play, he going to cut to the left and throw things off. As an A&R, you want your job easy. You don't want to have to be stressing out, you know, because some young producer either didn't tell you about some sample or he trying to cause, you know, y'all done talked about the situation before, but now when it's time to get ready to go down, now he done switched the whole situation up. Causes a lot of strife and stress, and that's when you be like, man, I done tried to mess with new producers, these new young guys, but you caused me so much drama that it it's not worth it. You know what I'm saying? It's just completely not worth it because, unfortunately, everybody thinks that they, what they bring to a record made everybody else. And the truth is, it didn't, you know? So what, you gonna not get on Beyonce album because she didn't want to pay you for the record? Or she wanted more percent than you thought she should get? Yeah, yeah. She wanted 95 and you was going to get five. But you like, man, Beyonce not finna do me like that. Do you think that your record, your one record that we've never even heard of would make or break Beyonce's career? Once again, welcome to the 90-10 rule. I'm Brian Jennings here with my co-host Kevin Davis. Yes, sir. All right, man. We got a great show lined up for you guys. Um, as a matter of fact, let's just get right to it. All right. So in the studio today, we got a, a special guest. And yeah, I know I always say special, but uh, this guy in particular, man, is pretty exceptional. Uh, Grammy Award winning producer, Street Symphony in the building, y'all. Street, what up, man? What up, though? What's good? Yes, sir. And um, well, this being the 9010 rule, man, we're going to jump right into it. And for those that don't know, I guess, would you would you tell them a little bit about how you got your start? Because you're from Memphis, right? Originally from Memphis, raised in Nashville. So I'm, I'm Tennessee zone. Um, definitely got my start. Man, I got my start a while ago. Um, I definitely say the first person to kind of just put me in the game was the big homie Yo Gotti. Um, Yo Gotti had a project that uh, he did with DJ Drama, one of, one of Drama's first Gangster Grills called I Told You So, and I did a joint on there for your guy that called Work Hard, Play Hard. So that's kind of like my first break into um, mainstream, you know what I mean, working with artists of, of that kind of caliber. So shout out to your Gotti. Yeah, we here. Yeah, yeah. Word. So building uh, on the success of that record, because... Uh, I know a lot of producers kind of feel like, hey, I got my first uh, my, my first one on a, a major release. And so now, you know, this is the start of everything. Like, it's going down now. And um, I don't know. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Was it like that for you or it just started laying out? Or how'd your grind go? No, nah, I definitely say, you know, it, 
in those moments or those times where you um, you finally, I guess, you you feel like you're kicking the door open, but you may just barely be, you know, tapping it and cracking it open or whatnot. <laughs> um, you know that that signified for me that I had the talent and the capabilities to do it, so it confirmed that for me. However, that was just kind of like the beginning of the grind. Um, from there, you know, I went on to work with, I mean, I've worked with Ludacris, I-20, um, Starlito, Don Tripp, Bun B, BG, um, 2 Chains to uh, Meek Mill, um, Travis Scott, um, Snooty Wild, Lecrae. Kind of dibbled and dabbled in the whole Christian hip hop market for a while. Reconcile, Derek Minor, some other dudes, and then just other, you know, independent artists um, as well. So you know, it's been a long journey. Um, I will say that I've learned a lot, um, and this ga- this game is one of those games that's definitely about persistence and just you know continuing to push forward. Um, Nobody cares about what you did last year or your last record. They just care about your next record or what you got out right now. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of young producers um, and songwriters and even artists, they still try to live off their past, but it's it's more so about what you got coming next. You know what I mean? Right. Right. There's still a lot of people that's trying to figure out the game because so much is changing. I mean, just in the last few years, like, I don't even know about, like, the different types of uh, equipment or, or software that you use because... Um, there are some people that are a little bit more old-fashioned and they like the older equipment and you get a different type of sound. Yeah. And then you got this uh, class of new school producers that are using uh, like Fruity Loops and you know different types of software. They're making beats on their iPhones now. Yeah. How do you feel like that's uh, impacted the, uh, the producer game? And um, yeah, we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, technology definitely has... Um change the playing field. Like you said, man, you can sit on an airplane with your iPad or your iPhone and make a track now. Um, when I first got my start, it was just, for me, it was the MPC 2000 XL. That was kind of like the machine to have or, you know, the Korg Tritons and the Rolling XP 60s, 80s, the motifs and all that. Then I kind of moved into the software with the Cubases and the Nuendo. Everybody had a crack version in the window, but uh, <laughs> um, and then I I progressed into the whole just recording in Pro Tools, and then started making tracking tracking in Pro Tools, and um, right now I'm feeling Ableton Live, but on the flip side of that, I just, I just started missing in the hardware and the pads and the, the sequence of some of the the older stuff, and I think technology has allowed for your old machines like. You know, the Yamaha, excuse me, not the Yamaha, um, the MPC 2000, you know, they got new versions of it that work with software or software-based. So it gives you the old-school feel, but it's just working in, with a lot of the new software. So you got way more sounds out there, way more sound developers, way more virtual instruments and everything. Um, so, you know, as far as equipment, I think it's it's dope the technology has allowed you to have so much equipment you know some people still do old school where they run stuff back through analog boards or through channel strips to just kind of fatten it up and give it that warm sound 
But unfortunately, in ur- urban music, particularly rap, like nobody cares what stuff sounds like anymore. I, you, you turn on the radio and it's a hit record that somebody did in a basement that they barely mixed. Um, so, you know, you got some people like, why put all that time, energy, and effort into doing all of that when the fans these days don't even appreciate the sound quality, especially in, in, in a lot of the hip-hop, you know what I mean? Or at least a lot of the radio hip-hop, radio rap. So, you know, that's it. And then as far as just the progression of the the producers, it's like everybody's a producer now, you know what I mean? And you have, um, you know, these new websites and stuff where producers are able to host their beats and then you started having this whole leasing beats thing going on and then exclusive rights for $50 and you got a producer like myself that's, you know, I can't compete with with these kids trying to sell tracks for $50, $100. Like that's, I got a cord worth $100 in my studio. Matter of fact, I got a whole bunch of cords worth $100 in my studio, you know, the light bill is more than a hundred dollars, so you know I, that's just not in my caliber. So, um, for the young guys, I guess it's kind of cool to kind of break through and give your beats away or give your music away if that's what you choose to do. But for me, I kind of still stick to the whole quality. You getting a record, you're just not getting a beat maker. You getting, you know, I produce records. You know, I deliver the true definition of producing and not just making a beat real fast and handing it to somebody via email saying, yo, I produced this record. No, you wrote the track. You didn't really produce the record. Go into that a little bit. What when, when you're saying production and what that truly means, kind of reach back and tell people what that actually means to you. Yeah. So you got a lot of uh, programmers, you know, and then you got um, songwriters is really what they are. If you're just sitting there programming tracks, making melodies, and you're sitting in the studio by yourself, you know, and you, you you bounce down to a two-track that's three minutes and 30 seconds, you made a beat. Okay, congratulations. That's just really a part of the songwriting or just, you know, programming. But actually producing a record is, um, it could be you programming and then getting the record finalized, bringing the, the right vocalist to come in and maybe sing a hook or working with the songwriters or working with a, a artist and really developing the record, spending time all the way from the from the instrumental of the track to laying all the vocals down to the mix and delivering a master. You know, when you look at a real producer contract, it's about you delivering a master, not you just, you know what I mean, handing a two-track in of a beat. So... I think a lot of these uh, young kids right now think that being a a music producer is just making a beat, and that's just like so little of what being a producer really is. And it's funny because I used to, in my younger days, I would look at Puff and all of them and be like, he ain't a producer, he ain't make the beat. Right. You know what I mean? But what Puff was doing was just taking songwriters and programmers and taking their instrumentals and turning them into you know, records. So that's really the, you know what I'm saying, the production side of things. No different than in a film. Um, you know, somebody might write a book, you know, but a video, I mean, a, a movie producer is going to turn that film, I mean, turn that book into a film and deliver right. a product that you can go sit down and pay about, what is it, what's the movie's name, about $20? You know <laughs> to know where you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, so, you know, the uh, uh, uh actual viable product. So right. that's the difference between um, producing and 
you know, making beats. And like, for instance, you know, I don't, I don't know how much Quincy Jones did on the Thriller album as far as um, playing instruments, right. but had he not been part of that project as the producer, it wouldn't have had the same sound and it, and it wouldn't have sold Thriller numbers. Well, I can't say this about um, all the A&Rs, but there are a couple of old school A&Rs that are still out there that I feel like are producers as well because they take these tracks that they get via email and then they go and grab the songwriters. They go put it with the right artist. They may have somebody come around. They might call you and say, hey, can you add a bridge right here? Can you do this? Can you do that? And truthfully, that's, you know, that's that's the three points or the four points of the of the producer royalty. The the 50% of the publishing is for the guy who just made the track. You know, he might have even produced the record. So. Oh, that, that sounds like a jewel right there. I, I think a few people are going to be that one back. Right <laughs> So you were saying that um, there are a lot of new sounds out there. Mm-hmm. Do you have something that you have as like your go-to? What do you have a certain sound, a certain instrument, or a certain plug-in that you just feel like, man, if I didn't have this one, my beats wouldn't be as good as they are? No, nah, to be honest, I feel like I got too much stuff sometimes. So I sit down and I'm, you know, going through sounds, and I've got too, I've, I've gotten uh, so tech-heavy that sometimes I'm like, man, I got too much stuff. You know what I mean? I think. The dopest things ultimately that you can find is just, you know, kind of creating your own sounds, you know, just taking a a simple sign base or something and running it through filters and doing all kind of crazy stuff and taking a piano and running it through filters and just making kind of, you know, your own sounds. Because a lot of the stock sounds, you know, everybody got them. And you're going to hear them everywhere. And you're going to hear them everywhere you go, you know. When Drummer Boy came out with that rise, then it seemed like right. it was every producer was trying to, you know, do that. I think you can actually download that particular sound yeah, yeah. sample from his records on the little websites now anyway. Yep, yep, yep. And you know, it's funny that you bring that up too, because I know there are, like, I've, some producers focus on, like, a, a type of brand like where where they try to have like that drummer boy style sound or or their their tag in the front or something to signify that you know this is that that's who made that track. Right. Um but I found that there are other producers that are just as successful if not more that have not necessarily um crowned uh, like their own sound but do more like what you were talking about before about really spending time with the artist and giving the artist their sound. Right. Does that make sense? That, make, that makes perfect sense, but I, I will say, just to kind of add to that, those those two types of uh, producers, the guys that particularly are more interested in throwing the tags on the front of their tracks, they're doing that for the purpose of, they're, they're probably either working on a lot of mixtapes, you know what I mean? And unfortunately, we're in a place where artists don't be respecting the producers like they should, so Cats mixtapes will come out and they won't even have the producer credits. You'll go to Dat Piff or Live Mixtapes, it'll just say the song featuring the artist, so you'll never know who the producer was. So the producers had to start getting smart and be like, hey, I'm already doing this track for free for you, you know what I'm saying? Because it's a mixtape. You, you know, you're not, and of course, the artist's going to be like, we ain't selling this, it's for free promo. Although the artist is touring, you know what I'm saying? So it's not free because he's going to go do it. At every show and every club walkthrough, you know what I mean? So really, the artist brand is still making money, but the producers have had to figure out, hey, how can I get some recognition for doing this track for you? And that's when they just started putting their tags up on the front 
And you hear them all, you know, from the homie KE on the track to Mike Will Made It to Sunny Digital to, um, you know, 808, 808 Mafia, even the My Squad track of that. So it's just, you know, just a creative way to, um, you know, brand yourself as a producer, especially when you're kind of messing around in the mixtape mixtape circuit. And you know what? I, I, I have to say, like, personally, I, I do not like that mixtape era of like I feel like it it hurt music in a lot of ways. What do you mean? Um well one because well you mentioned sound quality earlier. Most of the people that are putting out mixtapes and then you know that they're giving away free and so that this is when they started to take more of those shortcuts and not put more effort and time and money into getting a good mix and a good master. Yeah. Um, and that's where engineers started making some cuts too, and and selling them. Oh, I'll give you a good mix and master, which you know that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. And and you know I, I I agree with you. And street, I'm, I'm I want to get your opinion on this as well. But that's kind of contradicts what hip hop is and what it was. Like hip hop was the middle finger at society and at structure and at rules. So like not liking mixtape era music is almost like not liking hip hop in a way. No. I think we no. got I think we got too pretty with it. No, I I wanna say that at all. I mean everybody's entitled to their opinion, of course, but No, I'm I'm, I'm say, mad. <laughs> I mean I, I say this because I feel like when every when it became cool to give away free music, the value for the music dropped. Definitely. And so not only did the quality drop, but the value drop. And to the point where the fans now, they, like, they appreciate good music, but it's so fucking rare. Right. But like, I, you know what I, I'm saying? But I think you're missing what I'm saying. I'm talking about if you go back to the beginning of hip-hop. The whole idea was, you know, at this time, you had to have a, a band. You had to have a, 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 you know, a group to get on stage and perform any of these things. What rap was, was we don't need to do any of that stuff. We're breaking all the rules. We're going to get a DJ. He's going to spin your record that you went in the, in the studio and perform with your band, and we're going to hit a break beat, and now we have a whole other art form. And it was kind of like saying, we don't need those rules. We don't need any of that stuff. We're just going to do it our way. And I think that this is is a, is a the evolution of that. It may be a negative evolution in some ways, but it's the evolution of that. We don't have enough money to do it ourselves. Record companies have been robbing us forever. So you know what? Let's just change the rules. We're not going to change music. We change rules. What do you think about that, Street? No, I think both of you all got wise points. I think you specifically are coming from an artistry perspective and he's coming from a business perspective. So like, you know, you're, you're talking about um, new ways to kick the doors down and not having to go through the traditional system and he's talking about the value of the creators has diminished. You know what I mean? And ultimately, at the end of the day, for, to me, I think that Hip hop is just in such a selfish place right now, where it's just really all about the artists anyway. The songwriters, I mean, let me not say hip hop, urban music. Period. You know what I'm saying? It's just it's the creators of urban music are just suffering right now. Um, it's just nobody's valuing the producers, nobody's valuing the songwriters. Everybody wants to give away free music, ultimately because they want to capitalize off of shows and merch. You know right. what I mean? Because that's where the real money is. And some people may argue that's where the money always has really been. But it's getting to the point now where artists will put out 10 free mixtapes and don't even care about, you know what I'm saying, selling an album or paying a producer. Or do they even have the um, the thought to just come back and say, hey, man, my mixtape 
did really well and changed my career. You know what I mean? I'm now, I was getting $250 a show. Now I'm getting $5,000 a show. Let me throw you $1,500 or let me throw you $2,000 just to show you I appreciate you. It ain't none of that happening. It's just everybody selfish and just trying to get it, you know, on their own. Um, yeah. That makes sense. Now, with some of the artists you came up, though, I mean, because, like, you didn't always work with, uh, like, top-of-the-line artists. So, mm-hmm. like, on the come-up, you you built relationships with people. Yeah. And I'm assuming that they would have at least, you know, looked out for you or had some type of conversation at some point. Uh, it just depends on the artist. You know, you, when, when, a, when, a artist is, when an artist feels like he's way... Like, when an artist starts feeling like he's like letting you... Well, or he he feels like he's bigger than you, and he's letting you on to his project. The leverage it becomes a leverage game. He's like, man, well, who are you? I'm blah 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 blah, and I my last album went gold or or whatever it may be, and I'm gonna let you get an opportunity to break on my project. I mean, I'm hearing stuff these days where you know producers are telling artists use one of my tracks on your mixtape, and we'll shoot the video too for you, Mister Artist. Because everybody wants an opportunity to get one of those 12 or 13 tracks on a major artist, you know what I mean, uh, a major artist or a bubbling artist project, you know. It's, so it's, it's just I just a, heard that last night, actually. Yeah, it's, it's a <laughs> whole nother game. I mean, but then producers are starting to do weird stuff like sell beat collabs. Producers are saying, hey, you can, other young producers, I'll let you collab with me. For five hundred dollars, and then you can say you got a beat with me. I mean, it's just all it's all kind of weird, new stuff going on. But I'm a firm believer of the people that do good business and do business right is the ones that rise to the top. The people that try to hustle and get over, you know, they may have a quick fame. You know, they might do their thing for a little while. It's like a like an athlete on steroids. Yeah, you killed it, and then now you washed up. You know what I mean? So I think the guys that have longevity. Are the guys that have good relationships and they value the relationships and they, you know, they look out and 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 and, and take care of their producers. So I'm always an advocate for take. You got to take care of your producers. You know what I mean? When you look at some of the most successful people in hip hop right now, they all still attached to their producers. Arguably, or I might even say arguably, hands down, I would say that Drake is probably the hottest in the game right now. And Drake yelling. Me and 40 in the studio, you know what I'm saying? He said, 40, Boy Wonder, that's the same producers he's been banging with since since day one, which means they must be happy, they must be eating, they must feel bossed up, so they want to continue to commit and 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 go hard for Drake. They want to give Drake their newest music. Uh, I was a part of a situation to where uh, a specific producer did a, a record, and then... Um, let another artist use the track, and then the track ended up being for for Drake, and they called the other artist back and was like, hey, this is going to be a record for Drake. You know what I mean? You can't use it no more. And the other artist was like, what? You know what I mean? But that just goes to show, you know, in my opinion, that it looks like he was just like, yo, this is my guy that I've been banging with for the longest, and he wants the record. And I don't know whether it's the case of the check wasn't cut or what, but Drake ended up having the record. So, you know, that that loyalty and those relationships and taking care of your producer goes a long way. I know for me, um, when I got certain artists that I'm like, 
Yo, I just made something crazy. I want you to be the first person to hear it before I let anybody else hear it. You know what I'm saying? And that's kind of the same way. But that only comes when you got those guys that's cultivating their relationships with the producers and taking care of them. So, you know, speaking about longevity, how do you feel about the the situation where now tracks are just submitted? So you may just blindly send some tracks to somebody and maybe one or two of your records get picked up and the others don't. But how do you feel about uh, one producer doing an entire project? So like Kendrick Lamar's producer work, like you were saying, Drake has basically one sound throughout the... How do you feel about that? Do you think it's okay to have it disconnected or would you prefer to be the entire producer on a project? Well, I think what, what we're witnessing is, and I think it's it's actually good for producers is to get back to the way it was going down when Timberland had Aaliyah and Missy and Dr. Dre had Eminem and 50, you know what I mean? To where you got one producer, you know, again, somehow, some way, um, the producer in A&R world is starting to kind of get like in this weird gray area. Um, but you know, back in the day, it was kind of more so the producer was overseeing the musical project, kind of executive producing as well as not just making the beats, but kind of finding the, the tracks and stuff that he liked from other um, programmers, as we said earlier, or songwriters or whatever it may be, and kind of cultivating an overall sound with an artist. And that's kind of what I guess today's current A&R tries to do. But I'd say back in the day, the A&Rs were just... Some guys with shirt and ties trying to keep a budget low, you know, really didn't know much about music. They might have been good, friendly people or good people, people or, or good at financing or whatever, or finances, you know. And I think nowadays you got A&Rs that don't really understand how much of an old school producer that they really, you know what I'm saying, are or were. So I feel like that's good for the game. I feel like... Um, I wouldn't say necessarily just one, but definitely that team, you know what I'm saying, cultivating that sound. But that comes from producers and artists starting together from the scratch from scratch and building a sound and a brand together. And I think that's that's the and this is my probably my biggest gem of the night. That's the only way to do it now. If you want to be a producer and you're gonna sit, because you're gonna play out after a while, you're gonna just go home every day. Roll up or whatever you do and make beats. You probably got 500 beats sitting in your computer that nobody's using. After a while, you're going to start getting frustrated. Your creativity level is going to decline. I get excited every time a, a record of mine is released. It makes me want to go out and, and, and do something else. Uh, my homie Don Tripp, his album just came out uh, yesterday. I got two joints on there. Man, I'm ready to go. You know what I mean? I'm hearing my music. I'm watching the comments on Twitter, Instagram, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm excited again. You know what I mean? But those long gaps and periods of three or four, five months where ain't nothing happening, those is funny times for a creator just in general because you wanna you wanna you need to hear the public's response. You need to feel that. So ultimately, I would suggest new rapper, new producer, y'all get together build this thing out and come up together. I was just talking to somebody a minute ago. It seems like all the hit records in hip hop, besides for the super duper stars, have been these brand new new artists kicking the door open with some new producer you never heard of. I mean, the number two, I think it's number three this week, record in the country is the Trap Queen record that 
we're not talking about number three on hip hop. We talking about number three in the country. Right. I think it was one point seven million singles sold right now, and I never heard of this producer. A day in my life. Neither. And I had never heard any Fetty Wap song ever a day in my life. That's two brand new people that got together and pow, you know. I accumulate 1.7 million singles to whatever 12 by 1.7 million is for albums, you know what I mean, for albums. So, um, so, you know, they, what is, that's, that's, that's good money at the end of the day. Yeah, that's a lot. And that's a lot of publishing. So that producer has is gonna get a very nice publishing deal and that record is gonna make it's gonna make some serious money and change some lives. So as long as his paperwork is worked out. As long as so, the paperwork was worked out. But let's, the, let's talk about that. Yeah. Tell tell us about the producer paperwork. How does that look? What if you had to just generalize it and give people an idea of what they need to be cognizant of? All right. So I think I'm in a special position because I've been a producer, but I've also been the vice president of A&R at a label as well, too. So I can tell you from a, a, a business side perspective and how a label looks at things opposed to how a creator looks at things. And I have to balance them. And I found myself having to balance them when I was an A&R as well. But um, producers definitely need to always get an attorney involved when it comes to a contract. It don't need to be a real estate attorney. It don't need to be you know, your uncle who went to law school for two years and dropped out. You need to get, you know, an a- attorney. If you can't afford an attorney, get a reliable um, music consultant, at least, or a reliable or, you know, known, I would say, who's in the business, even a manager to at least, you know what I'm saying, review the agreement. A lot of times you'll have producers say, well, hey, you know, this attorney want $1,000 to just look at the contract. I'm only going to get $1,500 for the beat or something like that. So in those cases and instances, it may not make sense, you know what I mean, to give you a whole advance away for the paperwork. But you need to always have somebody look at your paperwork, especially if you don't know, you don't know what, you, what you're doing or what, you, you know, what you're talking about. Um, and my, my take on contracts are... Contracts are to protect me and you. That's why we both. That's why we both at the end of the day signed it. So whenever I hear people say, "Ah, oh, they put me in a mess up situation and all those kind of things," I don't really have too much sympathy for those situations because you signing it. You know what I mean? You you having an opportunity. Matter of fact, most agreements that I see, the last paragraph says that you understand you are in a binding agreement and you have had an attorney look at this. Right. So when you sign it, you you know, you said that you had that. Um, and at the end of the day, labels of banks trying to, you know, flip some money, you know what I mean? And everybody's got overheads and costs and, you know, it's a lot of other stuff that goes into it. So definitely, you know, get an attorney, man. You know, get somebody. Tried to be in the background, but we'll go with that dude. 
Put my name up on the walls, get a hooded tattoo These people look up to God, but now they looking at you And ain't it all, you ain't asked to be put in that view But you don't wanna upset, you just go with the statements They take advantage of your virtues, they know that you patient But you ain't say a word, pull on the promotion I take it started to serve, good things come to those who be waiting This is a story of progression, I took my feelings, repressed them I used the pen as a weapon in every battle I step in So let me ask you a question You really think I let you take advantage of the little chance you getting? Hold up, cause I was told you could lose a friend or even life. Either way, my either ways are either wrong or either right. So as I lose the days, I just beat the night with beats I like. Trying to get it done, but who need the sun when you speak the light? All this bad shit, how I'm supposed to get through? Trying to eat healthy and the devil know the best fruit. I'm in over my head, I don't know my next move. But to see the world, girl, I need an overhead view. From a student to a true, and I tried. With the optimistic view and I tried And when it comes to the music, voila These niggas said we couldn't do it, voila, voila I'm the kid whose parents ain't never signed, no permission Slid them lonelier than the class he was sitting in Peer pressure giving in, it's my life, I'm living it Only trust them niggas I was stuck up in detention with Feeling like the TV knew me more than my family Dean couch dweller, gotta stop his morbid and fattening But what happened now, I'm rapping it Nobody laughing, me wasn't rapping that time Must have did some overnight practicing This is show of perseverance Thing about the top is that you never know just when you near it So I don't judge by appearance You never know how close you could be They told me they don't see enough what they notice in me The way you stay, the way you care, just show that you deep And you ain't scared, easy, easy, it's your motion to see So what you going to be? It ain't no question about it And I don't do nothing if I got no resting without it, I'm gone All this bad shit, how I'm supposed to get through Trying to eat healthy and the devil know the best fruit I'm in over my head, I don't know my next move But to see the world, girl, I need an overhead view From a student to a true, and I tried With the optimistic view, and I tried And when it comes to the music, voila These niggas said we couldn't do it, voila That was Keontae Robinson, Devil Knows the Best Fruit You can find him on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash Keontae Robinson Here on the 9010 Rule With, uh, you know, the newer producers who've never probably had to do any of this stuff, you know, they see a producer declaration come across their email and, you know, what, is it okay to, to accept no money up front? Is it, or do they need to start asking? I mean, like, what, how do you feel about that? Tell some of the newer guys, do you need to have to get money up front? Do you have to get money up front in order for this to be prosperous for you? Nope. You do not have to get money up front. Again, the music business to me boils down to leverage. And it's an advance anyway. If somebody's giving you a $10,000 advance for the record. That's against they, your royalties. That's against your royalties. So, you know, you need to be smart enough to, re, you know, make it to where your agreement tell you get paid off a of record one. You know what I'm saying? You starting to get paid since they didn't want to give you an advance. And then it also boils down to leverage. And then we end up, again, we kind of hit, um, we kind of touched this a little bit earlier. Everybody making beats now. You know, you can go to with a sound click and it's a million producers there. Um, and then it's a million dudes on Instagram. It's a million dudes on Twitter. Everybody's a producer in hip hop. So there are people who will get a beats away and there's some people who would love to get paid. But you know, you get somebody gave you $250 or somebody you did it for free. That's not that much money that's going to make, you know. A, a large difference And ultimately it boils down to leverage man You can't come in demanding certain tracks And certain track prices When you don't have 
You don't have any credibility or anything. You got to prove yourself. So you got to give away some stuff. And I think that's why certain people find themselves still working on, uh, you know, working on mixtapes and giving away free joints. Every once in a while, you kind of, you may fall off. Even the hottest producers right. might kind of have a, a drought. And they need to just come with something hard real quick to let people know, hey, I'm still, you know what I'm saying, I'm, I'm going in. But again, this is still just for hip hop because you don't see that kind of stuff when you're dealing with the big boy. Like Timberland's not going to be on your mixtape because Timberland, right. you know, he's doing pop R and B, he's doing all other kind of stuff. Kanye West ain't going to do a beat on your mixtape, you know. But some about just traditional, urban, old school. Um, I ain't gonna say old school, but new school. Just hip hop producers and this whole new wave and movement where. It's just a mixtape world, man. Strictly for educational purposes, do yeah. you have an example of some time when maybe you pushed it too far and your record got left off the album? Um, off of an album or, or a mixtape? A situation. Like you you pushed the money up front maybe, and I just want to give the people an idea because you know, I hear all the time that some of the younger guys, you know, they'll tell me, well... Yeah, your artist is cool, but like I got to get paid. Like I got, I'm trying to, I'm trying to build a brand, and like it matters. And you know, they just push it so hard to the point where it becomes frustrating for me being a manager because now I'm, I'm forced to to tell this young guy, well, we really just don't need you. And it's not because your record isn't hot; it's just because you causing too much trouble. And that's what I was getting ready to say. Like even when I was A and R, I liked I and I now you know, it's so many lessons that I've learned over these years in the game. That I look back now and I'm like, man, now I see why it's so hard for a new A&R to bring a new producer in. Because A&Rs and these label execs, they'll kind of get a team of people who understand the play. You know what I mean? It's just like sports. It's the play. You're going to go receive 10 yards, cut to the right. It's the play. Everybody know the play. Well, every time you start bringing somebody new in, they want to just kind of do something different. Instead of running his play, he's going to cut to the left and throw things off. Why don't off. we do this instead? Right? Exactly. So, you know, as an A&R, you want your job easy. You don't want to have to be stressing out, you know, because some young producer either didn't tell you about some sample or he trying to cause, you know, y'all done talked about the situation before, but now when it's time to get ready to go down, now he done switched the whole situation up. Causes a lot of strife and stress, and that's when you'd be like, man, I done tried to mess with new producers, these new young guys, right. but you caused me so much drama that it, it's not worth it. You know what I'm saying? It's just completely not worth it because, unfortunately, everybody thinks that they, what they bring to a record made everybody else. And the truth is, it didn't, you know? So what, you going to not get on Beyonce album because... She didn't want to pay you for the record. Or she you, wanted more percent than you thought she or, should get? Yeah, yeah. She wanted 95 and you was going to get five. But you like, man, Beyonce not finna do me like that. Do you think that your record, your one record that we've never even heard of would make or break Beyonce's career? I don't think many producers, including the Timberlands, people you're talking about, would be mad if Beyonce only gave them 5%. At some point yeah. in, in their career Like you know When they're on top And they're popping It may be different But it, there's some days When even Timberland's like Man I take 5% of a Beyonce record You gotta change You gotta change your perspective You gotta look at it Like look at all the branding And opportunities I'm gonna get From being on the Beyonce record Instead of just looking At that little quick money That quick flip And that's the problem Everybody in, Everybody right now Looking for A new quick hustle You know what I'm saying Beats is the new Well, well was the new hustle It's like Beat that that game dried up too, you know what I mean? So 
you know, it's, you got to look at stuff from a long-term, um, a long-term perspective, you know what I mean? So, uh, well, I guess let me ask you this then. Yep. As a as a young producer coming up, man, where did you, like, did you really just make your money off of selling beats? Because, I mean, there wasn't SoundClick and all that stuff out there before, so. Man, I, I worked a full-time job. People don't know this. I worked a full-time job up until three years ago. It was just three years ago when I was able to completely start doing music full-time because I never did have a, a hit record that kick the doors off that allowed me to, um, you know, go take some big publishing deal that brought brought this amount of money in. And the publishing deals that I was always offered or the co-pub deals or whatever, they just really wasn't suffice because, you know, pub deals are still all about um, your funnel, what you got on. They ain't doing nothing but again, but advancing you the money that you got on the way. And, the then, and then for the own, your copyright for, forever, you know what I mean? So, you know... For me, it was, I had a whole nother grind. I had to keep on working a job because I got a certain lifestyle that I want to live. You know what I'm saying? Nothing too, too, too flashy, but I like nice stuff. I want to be able to take my lady out to a nice restaurant or whatever it may be. Um, I don't want to live with four dudes in a two-bedroom apartment just for me to say, I'm a producer. This is the producer grind. That's, that's not my style. Right. Um, so I continue to work a, work a day job. Um and then at nighttime, I was a producer. You know what I mean? Like, I worked at, at Verizon Wireless um, and would, I mean, even when I moved to Atlanta, what, six years ago, I was working at Verizon Wireless up in Alpharetta. I had to be there at 9 a.m., got off around about 4, by 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock. I was over at, uh, I think I was working about a soul asylum over there with Raphael Capone. But you know, I would be over there at 6 or 7 o'clock to 3 a.m., change your clothes, take a nap in the car, right back at it, you know what I'm saying, back to work. So my grind was just a little bit different, um, you know, than a lot of these 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 people, you know. So. Man, it's, it's, it's even dope for you to say that, man. Yeah. Like, like, brave, because nobody in the music industry wants to admit to having a, a regular job on the side. Like, everybody just wants to be self-made, and I just appeared rich because I'm in music instead of taking the time and, and doing the work, man. So, like, that's that's dope. Yeah, man. They they, they plan themselves. It's 2015. It's about multiple streams of income, period. You know what I mean? The Not people- just that. Let me tell you something that just, just, that's shocking probably to a lot of people. A lot of these people you see running around in Atlanta or whatever city you live in talking about music industry this, music industry that— it's two or three things happening. Either one, like you said, they live in four to one house, mm-hmm. barely barely scrapping by. One car. All they got is weed money. Yep. Two, they have a wife that's working a full-time job in yep. the background, yep. and they live there. Or three, they really put a lot of work in by working that job and finally had a chance to quit. That's really the only three things that, that's, that are happening. There's so much There's so much going on behind the scenes. There's a lot of smoke and mirrors. But the idea of being idle rich off of music is not as realistic as you may think it is. So don't get frustrated if this is happening. This is a testament to that right here. This, this brother Street is giving us the exact same thing right now. Yes, you may have to work a job, but don't just look at everybody else and assume that by counting their money, you can figure out why is, why is it for them so easy. It's not as easy as it looks. There's a lot going on behind the scenes. You know, I remember when I was living in Houston right before I came to Atlanta and I was uh, I was just like, man, I'm going to just go in, bump it. I'm, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to move to Atlanta. I'm going to get out there and just grind. 
And my big homie was like, man, so you telling me you finna quit your job, your comfort zone, that allows you to move around in places and network and look like you got money, you know what I'm saying, or at least be decent enough to hop on a plane and go to events, BET Awards or whatever, for to network. You mean you tell me you finna quit all that to go up to Atlanta, to be struggling, now you're going to have to whore your music out for way cheaper than the, what it is. You're going to kill your value. You know, he's like, he's like, don't do that. And then looking at him, and then he started breaking down so many people that you think that they just doing music, but they got out. They got real estate companies or something going on over here. This person over here lost a parent, and they inherited a million dollars over here. Like you said, they married, or they got a girl who let them. You know what I'm saying? It's just always something. So right. it's, it's, it's not what you think. You know what I mean? It's not what you think. It's just a lot of smoke and mirrors. So, I mean, and then another great example I had, I remember when uh, Big Drew over there with Convict, and then when I met him when I first kind of got here too, and I told him, I mean, he, he hit me up because he heard a record I did, and he was like, um, man, come by the studio. You know, I could come work. I was like, man, I'm at work right now. He's like, you at work? And I was like, yeah. He said, you got a job? And I'm like, yeah, bro. And he was like, man, I like you even more. I was like, what you mean? He was like, bro, a job teach you discipline. It teach you how to be on places, be in places on time. It teach you how to value a dollar. It teach you to... You know, it should lead you to, to learning how to budget and different things like that. And as a producer versus a beat maker, you got to know how to manage a budget. You know what I mean? You got to know how to, you need to have, uh, be prompt, be on time. You know, that's your professionalism. It ain't just about being cool, smoking big blunts and sitting in the studio. You know what I'm saying? Trying to swag or whatever you consider yourself doing. Be a businessman. It's a business. Matter of fact, to any producers, listen, if you ain't got an LLC set up or sole proprietorship or something, you're not no producer anyway because you ain't got no business. A label can't even do no business with you. You ain't got no publishing company got set up. You ain't got no LLC. You ain't got nothing going. It's going to be very difficult for somebody to do business with you anyway. So They're not going to write you a check. Yeah, they're not going to write you name. a check. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> you know, dudes got to wisen up, man. Having a job is a good thing. It, it, it teaches you a lot about yourself. Don't feel like you're less of a person because you got a job. That's, that's stupidity. Pride be eating them. Yeah, up. pride, man. For nothing. Now you can't even move around. Everybody in LA for BET weekend. You ain't got no money. Guess what? You can't go network. But if you had a job, you could be like, hey, uh, McDonald's or wherever you, Walmart, whatever you work, and I got to go to, can I get this weekend off? Right. You know, let me request my two days off, two weeks in advance. Now you can go, now you can go out to LA and put your little Jordans on and your, you know what I'm saying, your middle of the mall chain and flex and act like you some super producer. But at least you was able to afford to get out. There, instead of sitting at home watching it on TV and emailing people beats and hitting people on Twitter talking about can I send you some beats that ain't what's up that's real that's real so it, it, and I, I think you inadvertently dropped one dropped a jewel in there too man like the despite all the technology and, and the access that we have to people via social media um, ain't no excuse or ain't no substitute for being there yeah. like you gotta be in the game you got to show up yeah. to put up you know what I'm saying yeah no it's not I mean man I got countless stories of me sending through the email A&R's you know tracks and uh, 
I mean, I, I done sent like 30 tracks or something via email to an artist before. But then when I started just hopping on a plane and going out to L.A. and hitting that A&R up and being like, yo, I'm in the city. And they're like, oh, you in the city? We at this studio, da-da-da. Like literally countless stories with Meek Mills, with Gotti's, with like, you can you name it. By the time I done got to the third beat on play, they like loaded up and they in the studio recording. You see what I'm saying? It's something about that face-to-face presence and being able to kind of like, like you got to feel me, you know what I'm saying? My, you know, like hearing the music, one thing when when they mind is on a million other things and they not really paying attention. You know, you'll be playing in the background, but they arguing on the phone with their girl or something. Like they gonna miss it. When you right there, you can direct their attention and give them the. You know, you might just hit them with a delivery style or a flow for how they could ride the beat or something. They can feel that energy. You know what I mean? Because a lot of selling tracks and selling production is 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 energy related. You know, what your energy feel like? People people buy into that. Um, so being there in person, man, that's like a, that's a super crucial thing. You know what I mean? It also helps your record come out better. You know, I learned a lot of that from from the big homie uh, C Note. C Note, man, I watch how C Note move around Atlanta, being studio with C Note. I don't care who you are, if you ain't drop doing, you know what I'm saying, kind of what he feeling or the vibe for the record. You know, he gonna say, hey, won't you try this or won't you speak? You know, he gonna speak into it. But what I what I witness is a lot of artists. They respect it. They like that because they feel like he's trying to make them better. Um, I ain't never worked with Mike Will, but I've, I've heard that Mike Will was like that as well, too. So, you know, those are things that I've tried to um, add to my, you know, my work ethic and the way I work with artists as well. Like, I want to throw out ideas with you. Got to produce the record, man. It ain't just sitting there just with your beat, you know what I mean? So I heard you mention, you know, before we actually started recording that um, you're trying to give back to the kids in, in, in different ways. Oh, yeah. Kind of talk a little bit about, you know, what you're working on as far as with, you know, younger people. Oh, yeah. And how to, what that means to you. No, no doubt. So um, I graduated from uh, Middle Tennessee or MTSU at that time, um, which is right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. They got one of the best recording industry schools in the nation. Oh, military. I've heard, yo, I've heard of that program. I've yeah, that. yeah. They got. They just got a great recording industry program all together, whether it's business side or the put, um, production and tech. And then when MTSU started doing their thing, there really wasn't SAEs and what's the full sales like right. that. Those are kind of a little bit newer than, you but know. They're a little bit more flashy. Like they show you a Lamborghini pull up. That's like, they, they, it's all about the look as yeah. opposed to the actual education. Right. I actually went to Berkeley. Okay. And, 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 they're, they actually respect Middle Tennessee yeah. a whole lot there. So that's why I know it's one of those schools that's probably Berkeley, upper echelon. Yep, Berkeley is like, and I remember when I went to MT, it was like Berkeley was the number one school for music business. And they was like, MTSU was like number one in the South. MT, it was Berkeley, MT, and uh, Belmont. Those right. were your kind of your, your recording industry schools or whatnot. But I graduated from MT. So, you know, this year after winning the Grammy, um, you know, they were really in contact with me, and they came and they honored me, did an honor day. I spoke to a lot of the up-and-coming students, but on the flip side, you know, I know the MTSU, at least when I was there, um, a lot of the business and, business and a lot of the things were more so focused on from the aspect of Nashville, which is country music and gospel music or whatnot, not a lot of hip-hop and kind of urban music. So what I did was, um, one, I've been a big advocate to to for them to start just recognizing and respecting hip-hop even more, which they're totally embracing it. So shout-out to MTSU for that. But then I also, when they thought they were honoring me, I flipped the script on them, and we started the Street Symphony Scholarship. So, you know, every semester, you know, we got funds to do a scholarship, 
you know, and it's for um, primarily people who want to be in the urban music and things like that as well. So doing the scholarship stuff, um, I'm still actively, you know, going to uh, middle schools and elementaries, you know, doing the career days. I'm big on it. I love doing the career days and just being, you know, it's it's one thing to sit around on your social media sites and everything else and brag and you got this and you got that and then you got the dudes to be like, on Thanksgiving, they're going to give away turkeys because they seen that in New Jack City or whatever it may be. But we're talking about day-to-day. These kids, you know what I mean, for all the for all the poison we put out there in the music, you know, you kind of got to, you should at least try to balance it out and do something, you know, direct and positive for um, for the youth. So I love going to speak. I love taking a Dove Award or Grammy. I haven't had a chance to take my Grammy down there yet, but I've taken my Dove Award and let all the kids you know, in the class, touch it. Because I'm big on if you, you know, if you can see it, then you can do it. It's you know real. What I'm saying? It's real. So for them to see that or for them to see pictures of me next to a Chris Brown or something like that, and here they are, you know, 10, 11 years old. They're like, dang, you know Chris Brown, you know what I mean? Because they know him, you know what I'm saying? 11, 12 years old, they know Nicki Minaj, they know everything. You'll be surprised at like how much they know. Um, so... You know, I I, I want to be a light for them as well. And I think what I do as a producer and being in the music business is cool. And they can see that you can be educated and do it. You ain't got to just be, you know what I'm saying, super foolish and ignorant, you know what I'm saying, to be in the music business. So That means a whole lot too, listeners. I mean, you know, because Street, I, I taught the um the music recording and music business class for Dallas Austin Foundation. Oh, wow. Okay. And um, it's here in Atlanta. We had like 10 high schools that did it. But the thing about it was it was so hard to get some of those people who would answer my answer my phone calls and emails to do other things to get them just to come down and talk for 20 minutes to the kids. Yeah, so I really want to commend you on giving back like that. That's that's more important than any money you can put in anybody's yeah. hand. Hands down. Hands down. And, then, and another thing, the kids listen. You know what I mean? You try to give game and have conversations with other Young adults, or you know, they think they know it all. You kind of sometimes you just be wasting your breath. These kids, they want to soak up that game. They want to, they want to hear and they want to learn. You know what I mean? So I want to start. I, I like speaking to the individuals that's gonna listen and not just be like, yeah, 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 yeah. Where them, you know, where that money at doing? You know, so <laughs> <laughs> it's always one of those kids in the class. It is one of those kids in the class. You know, you you, you go around. He's like, what kind of car you drive? You know, <laughs> I drive a Jeep. Jeep. Right. Oh, ain't got no beans. <laughs> but yeah, we definitely appreciate you coming through, man. Um, give us an idea how we can the, the listeners can get in touch with you if they want to send you something or talk to you or how how can they do that? I'm on the I'm on Twitter, um, twitter.com slash i street symphony. I'm on the gram i am street symphony. Um, I launched our website. Um, as my label and company is is getting into full effect. Um, it's track or die. Kind of play off from Jeezy's Trap or Die's Track or Die. Um, and you can go to trackordie.com. You can also send a e- any emails or demos or whatever you feel like you want to send to info at trackordie.com as well. So I'm online. You can Google me. Fantastic. Yeah. Yo, family, man. Thank you again for coming through, man. This All good, brother. Special. Ladies and gentlemen, Street Symphony right here on yeah, the 9010 yeah. Rule. To submit topic suggestions, email us at info at the 9010rule.com. Once again, people, thank you for tuning in to the 9010 Rule. Uh, we really appreciate you guys tuning in. Make sure you hit the website up, the 9010rule.com. That's T H E 9010 R U L E.com. 
Also, you can hit our voicemail, 678-636-9116. Just give us an idea how you're liking the show, uh, guests that you may want us to reach out to, um, and just some topics that you want to hear about. Yeah, and if you got questions, man, definitely jump that in there, man. Like, I want to hear from y'all and know what's on your mind because we can't read your minds. But if you want the information, man, and I'll definitely get it from the greats and deliver it to you when you call the number and leave your question on the voicemail. <laughs> All right, listeners, till next time. Visit us at the9010rule.com. That's 9010rule.com.